Welcome to Drew Heel Heat, the place where we use insider terms because we think we know what the fuck we're talking about, even though we don't. My name's Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and I'm better than you, and you know it. Hello, hello, hello. It is me, it is me, your True Hill Phenom SP3. We are live on the True Hill Heat YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for our AEW Full Gear 2022 Roundtable Review. We're going to be discussing the show last night from AEW All Elite Wrestling from Newark, New Jersey. AEW Full Gear. I am here with the man, the artist extraordinaire here on the True Hill Heat YouTube channel. You see him on Rated Raw Superstars. You saw him last night on the watch along. He is the true draw, Josh. Yeah, how's it going? Uh, last night was interesting. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, well, we will talk about what was a very interesting show. We're going to break down all the action. But, of course, this is the True Hill Heat YouTube channel. So, you know we want to hear from all of you. We want to hear your thoughts on the show. What did you think about AEW Full Gear, the latest pay-per-view event from All Elite Wrestling? Let us know what you thought about it in the live chat. Sound off as well as we appreciate you all for joining us live, for watching us on demand. Show your appreciation back by dropping the thumbs up on this video. Share this video with all your wrestling fans, friends, and family on all your favorite social media platforms. If you are new to the True Hill Heat YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button hit the bell to stay notified for all the great content here and if you're watching us on facebook drop a like a heart a laugh an angry emoji however aew full gear made you feel let us know with that note and of course like i said sound off in the live chat your super chat donations are always appreciated if you have a little bit extra and you want to give back to us you appreciate what we do we always appreciate that that generosity and we will highlight your comment on screen but we're going to try to highlight as many comments as possible like the good brother santo here with us saying good wood freaky morning great pay-per-view last night we also got uh joseph with it who says good morning hope all is good we also got c back here who says hey all yes we are all here and josh right off the bat i'm gonna ask you uh what was your one word to describe last night's aew full gear event um i'm gonna go with questionable because uh, there's a lot more questions than answers after last night. Uh, I could either be good or bad. So just a heads up. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we got uh, you, my boy, Blue, in the live chat saying, sup. We got Vala B, who says, full gear, never misses, fourth year in a row. Uh, we also got Santo, who's correcting him. So I meant to say good. Yeah, not good wood. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, cause I, I don't know what that means. I'm like, oh, that it's going that way, huh? He's like, relax, pal, relax. Uh, <laughs> like you see in the title, we're going to talk about that main event and the big angle at the end. But 
Let's talk about the show from top to bottom. Let's start with the pre-show, the zero-hour pre-show. They had three matches on the docket on YouTube. Uh, we'll go through these relatively quickly. But before that, we got to talk about where AEW Full Gear took place from Newark, New Jersey at the Whoa. Prudential Center. Uh, all your thoughts on New Jersey aside, what did you think about the car, the crowd last night at Full Gear, Josh? Um, the crowd was hot. Um, there's definitely certain things I didn't agree with that they were doing. Uh, for example, those chants that you know about towards the, the first match of the main card. Uh, not so much because I stand with the guy. It's just, um, it's not a good look for the elite. That's, well, that was, the, just, that was the second match on the main card. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was the second match. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remembered. I got confused with that. So the second match. Uh, not so much because I stand with Punk. It's more the fact that it kind of makes the Elite look bad. Because I know there was some reaction. There was some reaction to that. That the people felt like uh, the Elite catered to that. Which I don't think they did. But it's just the fact that, you know, people... You know what it is? It's just perception. People are going to see something and run with it. And that's why I kind of don't agree with that. Um... The main event was a little weird to me because uh, Mox was getting booed out of the building, which was like, felt a little that weird. That wasn't weird to me. I think they should have expected that. And I think Moxley did well. Well, we're, we're going too much into the, the actual yeah. main event. Let's talk about the you know the show from yeah. top to bottom. Let's start with the zero-hour pre-show. They opened things up with an eight-man, uh, five-on-five, ten-man tag. The AEW All-Atlantic champion, Orange Cassidy, teaming up with the best friends, Trent Beretta and Chucky e. T, as well as Rocky Romero of Chaos and... The new, very evil Danhausen. Uh, he did not show up until later on in the matchup as the best friends uh, face the factories. QT Marshall, Aaron Solo, Nick Camarado, Lee Johnson, and Cole Carter. This was your regular kind of party match to kind of get the crowd into things as they were still coming into the building. Danhausen got the big elaborate entrance as it looked like Marshall was about to power drive Orange Cassidy on the steel steps. He had a jar of, a, of teeth and a spike with him. He was hitting slingshot German suplexes on Marshall. He had a release Northern Lights on Carter. Lariat to Solo. Snap German to Johnson. Led to uh, Cassidy hitting Camarado with the orange punts. And then Dan Housing pouring some loose teeth into Camarado's mouth before kicking it all out as Dan Housing got the win for Team Best Friends after the match. The Chaos Best Friends team all hugging in the middle of the ring to give us a happy uh, start to the show here. I thought this was a fine little fun comedy match to kick off the show. I gave it two stars. What did you think? Yeah, I think it was about the same. It was just one of those matches where it's not going to be taken seriously. Uh, do something like that to get the crowd going, so... I mean, for the most part, it did its job. I didn't expect much from it, so. 
Yeah. I, I just like I like the presentation of the new Danhausen. I think that this was the right time to kind of make the change. He's doing it before his act was really stale. Uh, I don't really hear I didn't really hear of anyone who thought like Danhausen's kind of comedy shtick was stale. I know there's people that still find him very funny, but I think it came at the right time where you can kind of use Danhausen a little bit more in this role where he shows more if he has like a more sadistic and aggressive and serious side to him. Yeah, and then also because he was losing a, a ton of matches and he was losing it very easily. So I mean, I don't mind it. Um, and I see one of the match. I see one of the comments saying you mean the old Danhausen, which I mean technically that's right, but at the same time we haven't seen this version in AEW, so it's technically new on this aspect. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's new <laughs> in the AEW uh, sense. I, I know there's people that know this Danhausen from his indie days, but this is the new Danhausen to AEW fans. We try to try to put it in that type of perspective. Wallaby. Uh, <laughs> uh, backstage, we went and uh, Renee Baquette had a quick interview with the newest member of the AEW roster, Kanosuke Takeshna. He was happy with his performance last night on Rampage, getting a win with June Akiyama over Eddie Kingston and Ortiz, and happy to be back in America. He said his dream was to wrestle in America, and now he can do that thanks to AEW. He thanks Tony Khan and the fans, as this is his dream, and uh, he got the graphic before the pay-per-view. Are you happy to see Konosuke Takeshita as an official member of the AEW roster? Yeah, I think he deserved it. Uh, he really showed out in a lot of his matches, so I think it's a it's a good signing, but then also you also want somebody who wants to be there. He clearly wants to be there because I know there was rumors yeah. of him being connected with WWE, but I didn't see that as a real possibility just because, you know, usually with, with Japanese wrestlers, when they kind of work with a company like this or, you know, they kind of commit themselves, you know, they kind of want to stay committed. So one way I'm not really surprised, I really didn't see him jumping ship. Uh Clearly wanted to be here, so I mean, I think it's it's a win win for both sides. Yeah, uh, Bebe making a cool little note here. He says, "Did you notice his makeup had been changed later in the show?" Talking about Dan Housen from the first match, he says, "I think this will be uh, dual be dual personalities or more like a darker side comes out when needed, and it's very similar to kind of the archetype." For the comedy characters in AEW, which is Orange Cassidy, where the whole point of his character, Orange Cassidy's character, can be summed up in one sentence. He's the coolest wrestler in the room until he cares. And when he cares, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, that's right. So, so with Danhausen, he he's gonna be this comedy, being the lawyer, you know, to being very nice, very evil, and then he can turn up the evil and be more of a darker side when it when he needs to be. So uh, we got a bunch of people very happy to see Konosuke Takeshna in AEW. Volabi saying Takeshna deserves a Cinnabon uh, sponsorship. And Cinnabon commented on the post uh, that announced that he was all elite. So I did like that. That was a nice little touch uh, by the Cinnabon people who Takeshna is the spokesperson for and should be. Uh, next up, we had the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament semifinals as Ricky Starks went one-on one with Brian Cage. These two men 
former members of Team Taz. Ricky Starks coming into this match with an injury thanks to a choke slam on the steel steps by Lance Archer on AEW Rampage after he defeated Archer in the quarterfinals. Uh, Ricky Starks did not stop himself from being cocky and absolute, but Cage did attack him uh, at the bell. Uh, Starks tried to turn this into a slugfest, but Cage hit a nice little superflex from the apron back inside, posed for the crowd. Uh, it was pretty much a lot of uh, Brian Cage throughout this until he tries to go for the Weapon X and Starks hits her roll-up for a near fall. Starks answers again with a spear for a two-count. Cage comes back with a, a power bomb, a buckle bomb, a discus lariat, but Starks kicks out. Starks avoids a top rope elbow drop from Cage. Cage looks for a F5, but Starks reverses that into a destroyer. And then eventually he picks up the big man for the Rochambeau and picks up the victory to advance to the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament Finals against Ethan Page. Ethan Page was on commentary during this match. I think he added, he added a little bit about his kind of mentality kind of leaning towards Ricky Starks advancing here because he knows he's injured I did like that little touch there and uh, ego, all ego got off commentary got on the stage to stare down with Ricky Starks as he celebrated in the ring here I thought this was a good semifinals matchup I gave it three stars what did you think Josh um, it was a good match I gave it like three and a quarter uh, it's kind of nice to see Brian Cage out there I think that's what I've been, uh, you know, more pleased about. I'm like, hey, at least he's getting used. Um, I thought the right guy won, so that's why I gave a little bit more. I gave a little bit more for the match. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, the way they gave me, you know, the game starts this little push, you know, I don't mind it. I think he's pretty deserving of it, um, you know, because the way that, that Hobbs feud went, I thought they kind of stumbled a little bit until the last match. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is a good thing for him, too, so I don't mind it. Yeah, I'm happy for uh, Ricky. Ricky deserves this opportunity. He's he's actually my my really my favorite to to win uh, the tournament finals. What about you? Do you think it's going to be all ego or it's going to be absolute? I think it's going to be Starks just because of that aspect of wanting of uh, you know face and heel aspect of things. Um, Page would make sense too, just because of the whole thing with the firm. Yeah. Uh, that would make sense too. So, I mean, either way, I'll be fine with it. I think I'll go with Starks a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's the right move. If they want to kind of establish that, uh, <laughs> that is, you know, their new world champion is the heel. I think the right move is to, you know, Ricky Starks to win this victory and kind of start maybe what could be a future long-term main event program between Ricky Starks and MJF because they are young. They have a great looks to them. So charismatic to both of them. Uh, so, and, and the promos, the promos alone, that's what I'm here for. Ricky Starks versus MJF. Yeah, I think that would, uh, yeah, that actually, yeah, that would actually make for a great program too. Because then, also, Ricky Stark kind of has a lot to prove himself, in a way. Um, I'm, which I'm not saying Paige doesn't, but I think it makes more sense with with Starks. Yeah. 
Uh, backstage, Renee is with Eddie Kingston, who is very solemn as he's, he's mentally preparing for his dream match against Jun Akiyama. He tells Renee, he says, sis, he doesn't want to talk to uh, talk right now. He was 18 when he saw Akiyama and can't put into words how he feels about this match. And you can hear the fans chanting for Eddie from the crowd. And then we got into the matchup. Nice little ovation for Eddie. And what we got was an absolute battle a war just chop after chop by eddie kingston june akiyama coming back with big forearm strikes this was hard hitting this is exactly what you would expect from these two men akiyama hitting a violent curb stomp and then a power driver for a two count akiyama uh cut off in the ropes as kingston hit him with an uh a superplex he then got the machine gun chops bruising the chest of akiyama Akiyama kicked out of an exploder by Kingston. And we got this little visual right here. The great, great facial expressions from both men throughout this absolute war. Eddie got a near fall off the uh, spinning back fist. Akiyama off the exploder suplex. Eddie got another near fall off the Northern Lights bomb. And then he picked up Akiyama, hit one more spinning back fist to get the win, to put him away. Kingston was brought to near tears in the post-match as this was obviously to Kingston the biggest win of his career and the amount of respect he has for Jun Akiyama was clearly evident by the the facial expressions throughout the match and especially in the post-match Kingston bowed and shook hands with Akiyama he gave Akiyama the ring to cheers in a very classy move but then Eddie uh, took the mic and he he had a promo post-match said not to thank him it's about thanking the fans for showing up and thanking Jun Akiyama he thanks he shows respect to Giant Baba and Ricky Dozen and uh, Masawa and Jumbo Saruta and Antonio Anoki and he hopes he made them all proud. He, he even went to run down the pay-per-view card himself and then told everybody to buy the pay-per-view. Eddie Kingston was great here and I want Eddie Kingston pre-show promos after Tony Khan decides to give him a dream match every single uh pay-per-view because they delivered at all out one of my favorite matches of that show with Tomori Ishii and Eddie Kingston and this was an this was another terrific bout here on the pre-show i gave it four stars what did you think Josh uh i gave it four stars as well i i i gave uh, Ishii uh, versus Kingston four stars i know somebody was like oh come on that wasn't four stars but I mean, hey, this is what they do. You know, this is what he does best. You know, when you when you have these kind of matches, you know, when you kind of have these uh, hog fights, you know, you got to rate it a different way. And I thought, I thought they delivered. They told the story. You could tell Kingston was into it. You could tell, you know, one of the few times I could tell that he was pretty like really into it. Like that's he really wanted that match. Yeah. Um, and as you said, like even after the fact, you know, after the fact, he showed them respect, you know, which he usually never does. And then, you know, that promo that was great. So I mean, it was it, it was a great. That whole thing was great all around. So I mean, I can't be mad at, at that. Yeah, definitely a success for if, the, if this is all we get of Jun Akiyama, then I'm totally fine with it. But I would love for maybe some Jun Akiyama Eddie Kingston tag team matches. Them as a team, I'd be down for oh. that. <laughs> That'd be great. 
<laughs> and he would love that. But that was the zero hour pre-show. I would say one of the better, more enjoyable zero hour uh, buy-in or pre-shows that AEW has put on. But that led into AEW Full Gear. Jim Ross coming out to join Excalibur, Taz and Shoni Chavani to comprise our announce team here. And we started off with a steel cage match, Josh, as it was the former friends, former best friends, now bitter enemies, Luchasaurus with Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Uh, this one got off to a hot start from the very beginning. This is the same building, Newark, New Jersey, the Prudential Center, where Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy Jurassic Express won the AEW World Tag Team titles in January. Uh, and this felt like a grudge match from the very beginning. Uh, Jungle Boy was busted open via the steel cage. And the blood, it seemed very small and very relatively calm at the beginning. It just trickled off his face. And then we got this fucking visual uh, towards the end of the matchup. Uh, that really happened as they went out of the ring as Christian got the key from the referee on the outside and unlocked the door. Uh, Christian was escorted away from the cage by referees and officials as Luchasaurus escaped the cage trying to get uh, Christian free. Uh, this led to a brawl outside. Jungle Boy was slingshot into the steel cage and busted open even further to this crimson mass right here. This is when Luchasaurus also brought a steel steel chairs and a steel uh, table into the ring as the fight just went on and on. Jungle Boy putting in a hell of an effort fighting from behind as the underdog here. Luchasaurus was goddamn, he was giving us total Undertaker Kane vibes throughout this. This match made him feel like an absolute monster and it took everything from Jungle Boy to overcome him and that includes him setting him up, hitting him with a steel chair, setting him up on the table and Jungle Boy flying off the steel cage 15, 20 feet in the air. What a spot. I was scared when he fell to the floor and he mostly hits the fucking mat. I thought Jungle Boy was hurt. I thought Luchasaurus was hurt because all of the elbow and all of the weight of Jungle Boy just went right on his ribs. He then gets locked in the snare trap. And I loved uh, Luchasaurus selling of this where Luchasaurus tried to bite his hand before he would tap out and then blood started coming out of his mouth before he eventually submits. This is how you keep someone strong, like a monster heel strong in a loss. This is how you put over a baby face on a rise and Jungle Boy, who coming into this match, I would have said was a lot colder than he was coming out of full gear last year when he had the big moment where he hit the concerto on Matt Jackson and won the trios match against Undisputed Elite for him and Christian and Luchasaurus. This feels like they got him back. To where he was before jungle boy feels like a hot baby face again and this was an excellent opener to the show an, a fantastic steel cage matchup i gave it four and a quarter stars what did you think josh uh i also gave it four and a quarter um it was really yeah it was pretty brutal um yeah i mean that's what you want from a steel cage match um when it came to the last spot you know it looked like you was crazy. So, like from like the front angle, it looked like he barely made it. But then on the side angle, it looks like he did make it. Yeah. And it was. I guess it's just. I guess maybe the mass. Maybe the mass of each guy. You know, Luke Torres is a big guy. Jungle Boy is a smaller guy. So maybe it was because of that. But it was so weird because we thought 
watching it on the watch along, we thought that he barely made it. But then when they showed the side view, we're like, oh shit, he actually did make it. It's just, I don't know, it looked weird. Uh, no, but the right guy won because honestly, man, if he would have lost, the Jungle Boy would have lost. It's like, what's the point of all of this? It gets to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Definitely. what's the point of all of this? And I know they're gonna, I know they're, they're slowly waiting for, for Christian, you know, to be 100%. But that's the only downside about it is because, you know, this feud is built off of those two. And there's really no real timetable yet on Christian coming back. Yeah, that's the only unfortunate part of all this is that uh, this felt like the feud ender. And I do think that they do need to take a little bit of a break uh, if they are going to go back to this when Christian is healthy. Because I do know Jungle Boy did, you know, emphasize during the media scrum that he does want that victory over Christian Cage that he felt like he should have gotten at All Out. So I know they're going to go back to this when Christian is healthy. But until Christian is healthy... Don't do this again. Don't do Jungle Boy and Lucha Stories 3. Now that they're 1-1, you did a steel cage match. That's a nice way to close this chapter. And then you can have Jungle Boy climb the ranks, maybe in, in four, five, six months. He's close to winning the TNT Championship. And then Christian's healthy enough to come back. You have him come and cost him that. And then you can do your one more match at, say, like double or nothing next year or something. Yeah, I, I'd be fine with that. Um, there's a like you said, doesn't necessarily need to be a a trilogy match. I think both guys look good when you do that. Just to lead it off at that one one. Hey, let's let's get away from that for now. And it seems like this ha this happens a lot on AEW pay per views because the way they book their shows, uh, you, the second match seems to always deliver one of the best matches of the night, and it did it again here. As after what I what I already said was an excellent opener, we got the graphic, Josh. That went up next was the trios championship matchup, the elite versus the champions the death triangle both the death triangle came out first even as champions we got the we got the superstar pause before the entrance of the elite the lights went out the video wall uh, described talking about they are the sons of the past the authors of the present and the future and they will carry on carry on and then the music, Kansas, carry on my Raywood Sons hit as the Elite made their entrance. This was a phenomenal entrance. This was a superstar-worthy entrance for the Elite just coming out. The crowd even singing along with the song as they got to the ring. Taz is doing the guitar riffs. This just felt like AEW was back again as the elite made their entrance for this match and this match had uh, i talked about it on the preview i talked about it on true hill he these are some of the greatest matches in aew history involved these six men and they did it again they did it again god damn it they did it again we started off the match with don Callis joining commentary and the crowd immediately did a fuck cm punk chant as well as a coke cabana chant as omega and pack are starting out fast omega tries his jump over face buster but pack lands on his feet and then spits in omega's face we then get phoenix and nick in the ring and they're going a mile a minute we get a stare down uh, uh, with the young bucks and the and the lucha bros the 
crowd is going nuts at this point. The Bucks start hitting super kicks on everyone to stand tall. Penta was taken out with corner kicks from the Bucks and a Huracan Rada by Omega, who dished out one another one to Phoenix. Nick hits a twisting dive on Pack and took a sip of a fan soda ringside. And the only he didn't even ask if it was liquor or not. He just asked, "Is it diet?" That was great. That was awesome. Omega in the ring. He he goes for the you can't escape, but Pac attacks the legs of Omega, and that really gives the heat for this matchup as Death Triangle beat down on the on the you know the still is still a little bit relatively uh injured Kenny Omega. Uh they work on him until Matt Jackson comes in. He comes in with the hot tag and hits the locomotion northern light suplexes. Uh, we get Phoenix with Escalera as well as Penta did a double stomp off the top. To the, to the grind of Matt Jackson for a near fall. In the middle portion of this, we get some little foreshadowing of the of the ending of this matchup as Phoenix is told by Pac as Penta distracts the referee to use the bell hammer, but Phoenix refuses. We get some crazy uh, three-way offense or crazy dives to the outside. Omega hits a snap dragons. Then he hits the uh, Terminator dive to the outside. Phoenix and uh and Matt are going at it on the outside. Then we get Phoenix and I know we get Nick and Penta on the top rope, and Nick hits a crazy Hurricane Rada off the top rope onto the pile of people on the floor. Omega hits a leg trap net breaker on the on the knee for a two count on Pack. He signals for the V trigger, but Pack counters into a snap German suplex. The elite go for their uh their springboard uh, tombstone, the Meltzer driver, but Death Triangle are able to reverse it into triple tombstones. Pack hits the the black arrow into the brutalizer on Omega. Looks like he's about to tap, but the Bucks make the save. Lucha Bros wipe out the Bucks on the outside. Phoenix is a spinning kick, uh, double stomp to Omega's ribs. Then the finish happens, and it looks like the uh, the the elite have the have the Death Triangle's number here. The Young Bucks take out uh, Pack and Phoenix on a uh, Pack and. Penta on the outside. Omega hits the V trigger. He's going, he's going well. He's about to go for the V trigger. And we see Pac on the outside. He has the bell hammer and he hands it to Phoenix. So when Phoenix gets hit with the V trigger, he gets up for the one ring angel. As the referee is uh, behind Omega, we see Phoenix use the bell hammer, nail Omega in the head with it, and roll him up one, two, three for Death Triangle to retain the AEW World Trios Champion chips and my lord i just broke down that whole match and i didn't even give it justice and that's me just writing down from notes this was about 20 to 25 minutes of some of the most sensational unreal spectacular action i have seen in a professional wrestling match this year and i said josh i told jimmy on ae ramble just a few weeks ago that this year i did not have one AEW match that got the vaunted five stars until last night. Elite and Death Triangle, give them all the stars because I know Uncle Dave is going to go over five, but I go on a five-star scale. My first AEW five-star match of 2022. I can't tell you how much I love this fucking match because they tried stuff that you wouldn't think would work. And everything worked. Everything worked. Everything was on point. Everything was flawless. 
This is one of the greatest trios matches I've ever seen in my life. Before we talk about the aftermath and what they announced coming out of this, which is even more insane to me after how amazing this match was, let's talk about the match itself. What did you think, Josh? Uh, I might have to agree because I really didn't see anything wrong with the match. Uh, some of the moves fucking scared the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. That her Karana scared the shit out of me because I thought freaking Nick slammed into the damn ring. Like when he like when he went over, I thought he meant it hit his head on the on the side of the ring. Uh, no, I mean, did look like that. It did look. It like did, that. and I mean, it's like at this point, can we really be surprised that the all these guys work well together? Like, is it really surprised? Yeah. Is it really surprised that the Bucks work well with the Lucha Bros? Is it is it crazy that Omega works well with Pac? Like, is it really like surprising at this point? But then yet, they always find a way to still make us surprised. So it's like, uh, I mean, it was a it, it was a great overall match. And I actually do like the fact that Lucha Bros won. Just because, you know, you don't give that aspect of, of predictability. But then also, I think the Lucha Bros have, you know, the, the Duff Triangle. They've, have, they've done a very great job of holding those titles down. And then also telling the story with Finn, the group, with Pac. Clearly being the heel, you know, over both guys, you know, that's been going on. And I thought last night, I thought that was kind of going to blow over because of the way Phoenix reacted to the belt, the, you know, the hammer the first time. And he ends up using it the second time. So that kind of tells you where that's going. And my whole thing, because I knew AEW coming into this show, they had two big angles of people in championship situations where the teams involved had a heel who was trying to kind of uh, manipulate or convince one of their babyface partners to join the dark side. And although Phoenix did do the action that confirms that he did choose the dark side, he was very conflicted afterwards. And I would think that... I I would say that that was probably some of the best facial expressions and selling that Phoenix has done after a match. And that's what I'm saying. Not only was it unreal, spectacular action that was flawless, it had a tremendous story, a part of it too. And the storytelling and that finish, like I'm someone that was very firmly in the corner of the elite. I, I am not sh ashamed to say I am an elite mark. They, they revitalized my love for professional wrestling before AEW was even created with what it's they true. did in New Japan and Ring of Honor. A lot of what true. we do here on this channel for is based on what the elite were able to do with their being the elite channel. And they were an inspiration. I've told them that in the past. So I was for yeah. the elite. But that finish was just so well done that I was okay with being wrong. Like, I I was totally wrong there, but the finish was just so smartly booked yeah. that I was just like, I love this match. This match and is it's the just best crazy to me. match this year. Yeah, and it's just crazy to me because it's like, at this point, you know, they're, they're never going to get credit for a lot they do. And it's like, you know, I think at this point, I mean, I don't think they've ever cared. But I'm like, you know, they their body of work has, has proven it you know, time to time, why they're some of the best wrestlers in the world. And people could disagree with it or not because, you know, they live in this 90s aspect of wrestling, which wasn't very good to begin with, uh, just my opinion. So, you know, you know, it, it, it is it, it is what it is at this point. But, 
you know, you know, all they got to do, you know, is keep going out there, putting out matches like this. And, you know, they're going to solidify themselves no matter what as being one of the, you know, being probably the greatest. So don't bother me either way. Yeah. I mean, Kenny Omega, he felt once again like that Kenny Omega of 2018, 2017. Yes. Like he and looked like he was in incredible shape. He had the pay-per-view nope. gear on. And like I said, everything he did in that in that ring was so smooth. Yeah, so Justin made a good point yesterday that he was like maybe that time off kind of benefited him even more, the suspension, because he looked healthy. Like he looked like he was 100% or even 200% last night. I think that probably benefited him the most out of anybody. Like, you know, <laughs> that little extra time off, even though it's kind of – it's usually tough to get back, you know, the momentum. You know, he had three matches you know, before the suspension. So he was getting it back there, especially that last match at All Out, which was also a great match as well. And I think um, sometimes it could make, it could, you know, it could make or break somebody. And I think Omega is a professional at this point that you could kind of see no matter how long he's been gone or, you know, he's, he's going to give you a thousand percent, you know, regardless of what he says, you know, sometimes when he's like, oh, I'm close to retiring because I, I can't deal with this. But I think at the end of the day, I think he loves his business so much that you kind of you just see it. You see it out there. You see the effort that he puts in, and you know he's gonna put his body on the line every night, you know, to perform for the fans, you know. Um, and he's one of those guys who puts the fans first, you know. And, yeah. and time to time, he 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 tends to show it every time. Yeah, gotta gotta hand it to you know Kenny Omega, uh, the young bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, Penta as well as Ray Phoenix and Pac, they delivered something very special. And it was so special and so special that no, you know, everyone, you know, saw it instantly that we just witnessed an instant classic, including Tony Khan, because before the end of the night, Josh, we got the announcement that there is going to be a best of seven series to determine the undisputed AEW World Trios champions. Tony Khan said at the post-media scrum that the controversial finish and basically the fact that the elite never lost the AEW Trios championships and then they were screwed over here, we're going to have a best of seven series with the second match of the series being on this week's AEW Dynamite. The third match will be the following week on November 30th in Indianapolis. March, the fourth match, uh, it will be on December 14th at Winter is Coming. Fifth match, if necessary, is December 21st in San Antonio, the Holiday Bash. You got the match six, if necessary, will be in Denver on December 28th at New Year Smash. And the seventh match, if necessary, peculiar enough, is on January 11th in Los Angeles. But a lot of people instantly said, very interesting that the March 4th date wasn't there. I mean, January 4th date wasn't there on the list of the matches in the best of seven series. And then it was revealed at today's, this morning's NJPWX stardom, historic crossover following Will Ospreay defeating Shoto Amino to retain the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. Kenny Omega 
got on the Titan Tron. He was on the big screen cutting a promo in Japanese, talking about how Will Ospreay was supposed to fill in his shoes when he left New Japan. And now he's coming back to save the promotion and take back the IWGP US title. So we got Omega versus Osprey on January 4th. We got a best of seven series with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks versus Death Triangle. The wrestling gods are blessing us coming out of full gear. But first, just your thoughts on the best of seven series. Do you think it's the right move? And then your thoughts on Omega versus Osprey for Wrestle King. I think it's the right move. Um, I know there's people who tend to complain because of the amount of matches that it involves. Um, I don't mind it. I think every time these guys have worked, they've done something new. They've done something fresh. They've done something that doesn't really get old. And I think you kind of need that. You kind of need that at this point. But then also, this is a good way to freaking establish the trio's uh, division. This is kind of what you need. You know, you put the two best teams out there, and I think it's going to solidify what the what the division is probably going to mean moving forward. And I think that the, these guys, like you said, are going to make it seven different matches. If we get seven matches, it's going to be seven different matches. You know, starting off a best of seven series with what I'm calling the best AEW match of the year is also a good thing. But uh, I just believe in these guys and they have just left such memorable matches. Like when you saw Pac and Kenny Omega in the ring together, you thought about the the first all out in 2019 or the 30-minute Man match or them in Orange Cassidy at double or nothing when you saw ray phoenix and nick jackson they had an, a match on the november 19th 2019 episode of dynamite that i still remember to this day as one of the best matches i've seen on dynamite and when they're in the ring together i instantly think of that you instantly think of the young bucks and the lucha bros when they're in the ring together you think of escalera della morte you think of steel cage from all out so all these things combined at a best of seven series, these are the perfect people to be in a best of seven series with each other. And like you said, this is a great way to firmly solidify and establish the World Trios titles. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm, I'm for it. So let's do this. Absolutely. We got a couple of comments here. Seabeck saying, what a time we are living in. We also got here Ashvin Ash, who says, is the Osprey versus Omega for the IWGP United States Championship? Yes, it is. The title that Kenny Omega was the inaugural champion for, he gets a shot at it January 4th at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Frantic World says, this is great news for AEW and New Japan fans. Yes, especially because the Young Bucks are also not booked on January 4th. So if we can get, man, if we can get the Young Bucks inserting themselves into the IWGP Junior picture or IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team picture, uh, this, this is what I live for. This is what I want in my life. I'm here for it. Inject it in my veins. Give me Eddie Kingston at Wrestle Kingdom too. Why don't you? Oh, man. Yeah, okay. but it's also going to mean a lot. It's also going to mean a lot to the Japan. The, to the Japanese fans over there because they have missed Kenny Omega. He was such a big part of what New Japan was doing. Um, you know, and, you know, it's just, you know, establishing this this relationship that they've had, you know, ever since th this guy left as president, you know, 
this one is he's been more open to you know partnerships and it's just going to continue from there so that's a good thing yeah nothing but good things coming out of there so yes uh, I, we we can we can now move on to another match. Even though I can, I'm gonna continue to gush over this matchup. I think until the last True Hill Heat of 2022, because spoiler alert, I think this is gonna be very high on my match of the year list. And I don't know if this is received bias or not. I was just I felt alive watching this fucking match. It was so great. Uh, but let's move on to the next match on the card for the TBS Championship. Jade Cargill defending against, quote-unquote, TBS Champion Nyla Rose, who came out with Vicky Guerrero in a lowrider. I like that. And uh, Marina Shafir as well was there with her, while Jade Cargill came out in gear that was expi- inspired uh, by the... Uh, by Thundercats. So that was a nice little touch by uh, Jade Care Jay there before the bell Rose attacked uh, Hogan on the outside who had possession of the TBS title. Cargill took the fight to Rose for uh, the match to officially begin as she hit a pump kick that sent Rose over the barricade. They fight back. This became more of like the big horses, the, the big female horses going at each other like bulls. Uh, Cargill was able to power Rose up into her own version of the Beast Bomb. Rose was able to roll through and hit her own version of Jaded at one point. I like them stealing each other's moves here, but Rose went to the top. She misses a senton. Cargill follows up with the pump kick and the Jaded to go 42-0 and and retain the AEW TBS Championship. Jay Cargill, I think she looked good here. A lot of people felt like this was one of her better matches. I didn't think the match was that pretty, but it was decent enough. I gave it two and three quarters stars. What did you think, Josh? Um, I think it was, uh, you could say maybe her best performance. Um, you could see she's getting better. Um, you know, she still needs work, obviously. But uh, I don't know. It's just one of those it's one of these things now is like because she's been so dominant, you know, she's on this winning streak. It's like at this point, it's like how the hell are you gonna get the title off of her to go after the AEW title? You know what I mean? Like if she loses, doesn't that kind of like you know I mean they, <laughs> they could they can go about this a couple of different ways. They can keep the streak going, and then when she hits a year, she's like, you know, I've been the champion for a year. I want to go after the top prize now. I want to go after the AEW Women's World Champion, and she can either become a double champion or she can relinquish the TBS title and go to go after the the AEW Women's yeah, World a, Championship. Yeah. But honestly, I'm good. I'm kind of feeling at the point of. We didn't see a lot more than we should be, probably be seeing from Jade. She's been here for over a year now, and I really am getting to the point where I'm thinking that the undefeated strength is a is a hindrance to her and develop her development as a it performer is. than it, it is, is a positive now. No, it is, yeah, and that's why that's why I kind of question it. I'm like, you know, where do you go from here? Like even. You know, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, uh, we know she's in this undefeated streak, but she also needs that development. She needs that real development that, you know, the reason why Asuka was able to get away with it is because she was a vet at that point. She was already a seasoned veteran at at that point of her career. So, like, that's why it also kind of hurt Goldberg as well, if you think about it as well, because, you know, they started her right off the bat. Same way, same similar way with uh, no experience, 
uh, learning on the job. You know, she's in the same aspect. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's shown she's more athletic than Goldberg, but it's yeah. just one of those things. It's, it's just one of those things where I do feel like it's been hindering her progress because of that, because they've been so focused on her being such a dominant champion that the things that she really needs to improve on, she hasn't really been able to improve on because of that. Yeah, honestly, I'm at the point where I think that she should lose before she wins the AEW Women's World Championship. I, I'm at that point. And Will asks a good question. What women do you build up to beat Jade at this point? Uh, if Chris Statlander could come back relatively soon, that would be kind of the the the, the, the baby face that I see that I could build up. To yeah, she, was the kinda, she was kind of going on that track before she got injured. And that's yeah. the sucky part about it. She was kind of going on that. People were getting behind her, too. And then so it's just unfortunate she got injured again. Yeah, as uh, that would be one. And honestly, the one with the best story is Willow Nightingale. Willow Nightingale in a lot of ways, because when Jade first won the woman, the TBS championship, not a lot of people remember, Red Velvet was kind of like an underdog babyface. And she had this story kind of forming that, uh, you know, she had always been kind of the rival of Jade from the very beginning of Jade's career. And she, Jade beat her, you know, in the tag team match with Shaq, beat her one-on-one, then beat her in the TBS tournament that I thought they would eventually make, you know, Red Velvet the underdog babyface to kind of overcome. Jade, but now Willow Nightingale has kind of taken that from her, where Willow has lost twice to Jade, and even before the second time she Jade beat her, she was like, like how many times I gotta beat you? I beat you one-on-one, I beat you in a tag match, now you want me to beat you again? Now we need Willow to keep coming back, to keep coming back until eventually she's the one that can dethrone Jade. I could actually really like that idea. Uh, it's just that, yeah, I... When it came to Red Velvet, she just didn't really didn't seem like a real threat. That once she joined her side, joined the baddies, it was like, yeah, that shit went straight to hell. Like, I don't even care about that no more. Pretty much it did. Like he said, it could be, hell no. Hell no. He said next. Nah, nah. Keep passing. Pass on that. Dolores says Jade needs a real competitor that feels like a real threat. It seems like everyone comes to just lose. It becomes a little repetitive. That is true. I, I like the, the Jade rivalry because it was a little bit different where we saw someone finally get under the skin of Jade and Jade had to take her, had to take her seriously to beat her. So I thought that that gave us a little bit something different from what was becoming stale in the overconfident Jade Cargill that we were seeing before. Oh, yeah. It was like, what you talking about with, with Nyla, right? Like yeah. this little feud that's been going on where she yeah. like, just stole her belt and just took it. <laughs> exactly. And Nyla's great in the role because she's so funny. So this, this worked for me. Uh, let's talk about the next match, which definitely worked for me. It was the ROH World Title Four Way as Chris Jericho defended against Claudio Castanoli, Brian Danielson, and Sammy Guevara. Uh, this one, I, I I was very adamant, Josh, on the preview on True Hell Heat that I didn't think this match should be happening here because I thought it was all building up for a trios match and we got the fatal four-way here. But coming out of this, I'm I'm okay to say I was wrong. <laughs> this match delivered so well. Uh, we got we got a lot of tag team work early on with the Blackpool Combat Club, Brian Danielson and Claudio Castanoli working together against Jericho and Sammy. 
Although when they took out took out uh, Sammy and Jericho with European uppercuts, they then shook hands and turned their offense on each other, trading European uppercuts between uh, between both men after working so well with each other. It was it was a nice little juxtaposition there. But really, the the middle portion of this matchup had some of the best storytelling I've seen in AEW in a while, with Sammy and Jericho becoming kind of the crust of the story, where Sammy. Sammy was working with Jericho a lot and behind his back would try to go for pinfalls until Jericho uh, basically capitalized on Sammy hitting a Spanish fly on Brian Danielson and hit the lion saw hitting Sammy at the same time. Jericho would then hit a code breaker on Claudio coming off the ropes with a springboard European and he got the one two and then Sammy pulled Jericho off of the cover. He got in each other's faces. They started trading strikes. Uh, Guevara actually tries to go for the walls of Jericho, but Jericho goes for one of his own and locks Sammy in it until Brian tries to break it up with a dropkick, but he gets locked into the walls of Jericho. Jericho starts no-selling big boots from Claudio, so he's dropped. Uh, he dropped Jericho with a suplex, and then he sank in the sharpshooter. Jericho tried to pin Danielson while still in the sharpshooter, but Danielson transitions that into the little bell lock. Guevara breaks everything up with super kicks to Castanoli and Danielson. He opts to uh, help Jericho up. But then he drops him with the GTH, then goes up to the top rope, hits a shooting star press for a great near fall. Hammer and amber elbows from Sammy just pisses off Danielson, who no-sells it, and then slaps the taste out of Guevara's mouth. We get Castanoli with a, he presses Guevara over his head and launches him down to the floor onto Jericho. Castanoli then turns around into the Bicycle knee for another great near fall. Castanoli and Danielson trade the hammer and anvil elbows. Castanoli tries for the pop-up uppercut, but Danielson reverses that into a backslide. Guevara comes in, hits a springboard cutter on Castanoli. Spanish fly off the ropes on Danielson, who reverses that into the LaBelle lock. Jericho breaks that up. Everyone's spilled outside where Danielson gets dropped with the neutralizer. Guevara hits a shooting star press onto Claudio. He tries for a springboard back into the ring, but Castanoli hits the pop-up European. Then he gets the giant swing on uh, on uh, Sammy, and he looks like he's about to finish him. When Jericho comes out of nowhere, hits a leaping Judas effect over Sammy to Claudio. Then gets up, picks him up, and he hits another proper Judas effect to pin Claudio one, two, three, and retain the Ring of Honor World Championship. This was about 20, 25 minutes of just superb professional wrestling in ring action, top notch storytelling, top notch, and Jericho winning. Although there are people out there that are going to be upset about that, it felt like the right finish. Four right here. Derrico needed to be the champion going into final battle, where I think his reign will finally end. But That's this exactly match, Josh, was fabulous. Four and three quarter stars. I'm going to go for this one. I love this match. Yeah, I'm going to go with four and a half or four to three quarters. I'm going to go with that. Uh, very nice back and forth. I love the false finishes. I know there's people who are not really fans of that. But you kind of needed that. You kind of needed that in this kind of match, I felt. But it also, what made the match interesting to me, too, was the whole aspect of 
it's a fatal four-way match, but two guys who are facing each other, you know, they're in a team eat. Like they're they're in the same team. So it was like I wanted to see how that worked, and I thought they worked, they I thought they played that very well into into everything. Um I don't mind Jericho winning because I did say it. I think when, it was, when we were watching the watch along, you know, when people were picking like, oh, I think uh Danielson should win or wherever the case may be. I was like, nah, they're going to give Jericho a final battle. They're going to give him at least a Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Um, that's something that I, I know that he's been wanting to do, and he could finally get it. He, you know, he could finally get it at, you know, at the, you know, the last show of the year for, for Ring of Honor. So, you know, that kind of establishes that. So, I don't mind Jericho winning. You know, as long as the match was great, you know, they, they all uh, everybody delivered. Uh, people could say what they want about Jericho. I think this has kind of been a resurgence year for Jericho. I think he finally probably figured out that there's a lot of things he can't do anymore. So he's been sticking to the wrestling aspect of stuff. So, and it's really worked out for him, no matter regardless of how people feel, what people say about his age, whatever the case may be. You know, this has actually been a really good year for Jericho. Kingston Revolution, Anarchy in the Arena, Double or Nothing, Blood and Guts 2, Moxley, Quake by the Lake, all three matches with Brian Danielson, Bandito, got got Bandito a fucking contract. Like, yo, and then this match, the Claudio match at Grand Slam was really good. This has been the best in-ring year in Chris Jericho's career, I would say, since... Maybe 2008 since the John Michaels feud in, in yep. WWE. This is the best yeah. work he has done in a full calendar year. Yeah, and we're talking about, and, and it's a wrestling aspect of things. Because people could bring up, oh, the whole listing, but that was more of an entertainment. That was more of a character thing that you could use. But if you're talking about overall wrestling, this has by far been his best year in ages. Most certainly, and I, I enjoyed the hell out of this matchup. Obviously, we both did by our high marks. Let's and I, I thought that uh, the show was going along very, just really, really great. And even with you know me being a little down on Jade versus Nyla, I thought that came at the right spot on the show. That was the perfect spot coming out of that insane six man for Jade and Nyla, and that was serviceable with what it needed to do. Now let's get into the next match where we had a non-title match here. And this one was a grudge match as Soraya was making her first in-ring match in five years, coming back from neck surgery and retirement to verse the number one woman in AEW, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Uh, there was a nice little energy in the crowd at the start here. Uh, Soraya looked great. She is, she is very enhanced. Um, yeah. Uh, the first bump that <laughs> the first bump that Soraya took, the referee had to check on her. Uh, she took her time getting up, but then she smiled at Britt Baker, and the camera totally missed the fucking shot. I was like, how do you not zoom in on the smile? That's the whole point of doing that spot. Uh, it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, Baker, the real story of this matchup, Baker was attacking the net at every turn, uh, 
She did like a fisherman driver on the outside that I was just like, I, I don't know how you're protecting her neck that way. Just net breaker after net breaker attacking the weakness of Soraya. Uh, she goes for, she went for the lockjaw at one point and looked like she was going to pit Soraya away. Uh, but she traded uh, near falls, a series of near falls. Baker tried for a rip card, but Soraya hits a knee strike for a two count. Baker was able to hit the rip court elbow, spinning neck breaker, and then the curb stomp. But again, Soraya was able to kick out. Soraya comes back with a charging knee, and then she hits two back-to-back -back rampages after getting a near fall earlier in the bout. So three rampages in total to Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and Soraya defeats Baker here. Soraya, very emotional following the matchup. I thought the crowd took a little while to kind of get into, into this one. They were pretty quiet in the middle portion here. Uh, but I thought that Soraya had a solid return to the ring. Of course, she was going to look rusty here. But I think by the end, they had a solid matchup here that I gave three and a quarter stars to. What did you think, Josh? Uh, I think it was about three stars. You know, I'm I don't want to be too critical on Soraya just because uh, she's been gone all these years. Uh, you could tell you, you could tell she was tired by the end of it. Well, not even by the end of it, by like the middle of it. She was already like tired. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to really, uh, you know, give, you know, I don't want to be too critical on that just because, you know, we kind of expect it, you know, we, we kind of expect it, you know, it's not like she's, she was work. She was working a month ago, you know. So we also got to keep that in mind, you know. Yes. You know what I mean? So um, I mean, it, it was a nice return. I thought Britt was a perfect uh, person to wrestle in her first match back because I think Britt has established herself as being someone who could probably carry somebody like this in this situation. And you know, I think that's just it. Just proved her worth more as well. So I think, uh, you know. It, it, you know, it was a, it was a solid performance by by both parties involved. Um, you know, but also I just think you know, just Soraya getting that first match under her belt. I think from here, then you could probably see like, hey, let's see where this goes from here. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was the it was the right move, the right person for Soraya to, for her to be in there with, and I thought they worked very well. I think if the crowd was a little bit hotter, I would have been I would have been even more into this matchup. And I thought that both both women were working hard and doing whatever it took to get the crowd into it. And I thought the crowd got into it late with like the dual chance of uh, you know let's go Soraya, let's go Baker. So they got into it late, but if they would have got into it earlier, I think the match would have been even better uh let's see we got a couple of comments here in the live uh in the live chat uh I, I, frantic world saying wow sp3 i don't know what i said but i'm a, i must have surprised him there uh chris is saying adam cole so lucky to have Brent baker okay sir okay um uh, we got Ashra Nasher says, I miss her so much. Miss having her in the ring. So happy that she's doing what she loves. She does have ring rust, but hey, this was a four-star match for me. Wow, he's high on this one. He's high on this one, folks. 
Uh, we also got here. Uh, <laughs> we got Astronauts who said, I predicted that on the True Hill Heat 201. Uh, go check it out, SP3, Miss Chrissy Love and Cassidy predictions for uh, full gear. Yes, it was all good stuff. All good stuff. Uh, Dolores says, I appreciate it in the scrum. She acknowledged Britt and saying Britt had to carry her a lot through this. And you, if cam the camera went away from it very quick, but I don't know if you saw Josh, yes. she did thank Britt right after the match. Right after the match, she she immediately went turn around after the emotion of winning and being done with it. She turns around and goes to Britt and thanks her. And the camera cut away real quick because they yeah, like, saw that, oh, yep. didn't want to catch that. <laughs> that was a nice little moment there that they, they did were able to caught there. But let's move on to the next matchup. As for the TNT Championship, we have a three-way horse fight, Josh, as it was Wardlow defending against the ROH television champion Samoa Joe and Powerhouse Hobbs. This one was action-packed uh, from the immediately like open bell. Wardlow immediately went after uh, Joe on the floor, posting him before Hobbs steamrolled the TNT champion. Hobbs controlled both early on, delivering clubbing blows on Wardlow and dropping Joe with a T-bone suplex. We get Hobbs uh, was lit up with a uh, Warlow corner strikes as Joe uh, ran into a spine buster by Warlow. Warlow hit a cre crazy whisper in the wind at one point as Joe and Hobbs were brawling, brawling with each other. Hobbs hits a pounce on Joe, so destructive that I'm sure Monty Brown was Monty Brown was proud. Back inside, Hobbs <laughs> uh, flattens a uh, Warlow with a spine buster for a very close near fall. That's the same move he's laid out Warlow the last couple of weeks. Warlow and Hobbs are jockeying for a position. We get a nice series of reversals and that leads to Warlow firing off two big power bombs. I love that that powerhouse Hobbs kind of no-sold and got back up after the first one. It put him over in a way. Just a subtle little thing that he did there. He As he goes for a third Samoa, uh, he hits a third and then he goes for a fourth and then Samoa Joe comes in. He wipes out Warlow with the TNT title and then he locks on the Kakina clutch on Hobbs who is passed out and Joe wins Samoa Joe is now your TNT and ROH television champion this was a surprise result but another one that I enjoyed I was like because of the way they they were able to execute it I thought this was the right finish puts over Joe, continues the whole Joe versus Warlow issue by the stare down that we saw after the match with Warlow and Hobbs. We know their issue is probably not over as well. So I thought that this was very well done. I gave it three and a half stars. What did you think, Josh? Uh, it was about three and a quarter for me. Uh, it was a good match. Uh, the, the, the ending I'm a little conflicted about because it was like, uh, why did it end like this? Oh, that's just me. That's just my personal take on that. Uh, but I know some people were questioning it as well. I was like, the only thing I could think of, I was like, maybe they gave the title to Joe is because I know Joe's probably going to be doing some press soon for his new show. He's doing, he did the Twisted Metal show. So to have the title, you know, presented, you know, TNT title, you know, you're basically representing a network title. Sure. You know, that kind of gives eyes. That kind of gives eyes to not only the network, but, you know, to the product itself. So that was the only thing I could think of. I was like, maybe that's why they gave it to him. Um, but besides that, I mean, you know, I don't. 
it's more of like wh where does it go from here? Because I, I, my original thought would have been Warlow retains, and then you get Joe away from there, and that's how you have the you have Hobbs, and uh, you have Hobbs and Warlow. You actually have that feud focused on, and that's how maybe Hobbs gets the title. But then it was a little even more strange when Hobbs was the one that got pinned. He got pinned like a sucker. I was like, yo, he got hit with the butt. And, you know, like, he got choked out. Like, bro, what just happened? He was already knocked out, to be fair. He was already yeah, yeah, I'm saying, but still. Out. Yeah, yeah. But it was like the way he was laid out. Like, they just, like, laid him out. And then they acknowledged each other. Like, after, like, after the fact that Jomo and Joe has two boats, Hobbs and Warlow, like, nodded at each other. Like, they acknowledged each other. Like, man, like, man, respect to you. No, no. They like, looked at each other like, we fucked up. Yeah. We fucked yeah, up. They, yeah, like like they like nodded at each other. I was like, "Yo, what just happened?" I was like, "What just happened right now?" But I mean, overall, I mean, I'm a, like I said, I was conflicted by the ending, but I don't think it's a bad. I don't think it's a hundred percent a bad thing. At least it's Joe. At least it's more with Joe having the title. Yeah. You know, that gives him something. But then also, like I said, you know, if it's a niche of him promoting the belt, you know, because he's probably going to be doing press, like I said. I mean, I have no problem with it. And I remember somebody, uh, no, it was Romeo in the chat because he had to go on, on YouTube. He was in a YouTube chat for a while. He wrote, uh, Joe greater than Taurus. And I was dying because that's basically why Taurus got the NWA title. But I was like, yeah, but that's two Tyrese, completely yeah. different things, <laughs> which was funny. But I was like, you know, he's on Fox News. And I'm like, you know, everybody hates Fox News. There's a difference. I was like, because he's a super righty. But I'm like, at least with Joe, he's promoting something. At least that's just the take on that. He's not promoting his shitty political take. <laughs> so at least there's that. Um, <laughs> Dolores says, the ending was made, but I like this match. Uh, you, my boy, Blue, says, I was so happy for Joe. So happy they took the belt off Warlow. He was bringing it down. I wouldn't say that, and I do think they need to reheat Warlow that's up. For yeah. sure. So I can understand if people were upset off the finish for that fact and the fact, of course, yeah. that Hobbs took the loss here. And I think that's where people get confused with as well. Because you have to look at the aspect of like when it comes to the title and Wardlow, you know, I don't think it's it was so much Wardlow. It was just a fucking booking was just weird. When once they put him in the tag team with Joe, it just it was like you you take away from the title itself, not exactly from Wardlow, you're taking away from the title. You know, it's kind of like the whole thing with, with, with Adam Page, right, when people were complaining about, like, his title reign, like, oh, he didn't look like the strongest. At the same time, his matches delivered. But it yeah. was just the storytelling of his character. That's what made him look weak. So there's a difference between when it comes to, like, those two kind of aspects. I don't think it was so much Warlow. It was just the direction they went with the title that kind of just didn't make any sense. And I'm interested to see what they're going to do now because you would think naturally with, uh, what, two, three weeks before final battle, we do we would do Joe versus Wardlow for both of the titles now. Could be. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. just one title. They're like, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll give you just this title. Yeah, Joe says, I'll give you a shot at the Ring of Honor television title, not the TNT title. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I would love that. I, would I love can see that. him do that. I can see yeah. him do that. 
Uh, backstage we go, and Tony Schiavone is interviewing Ring of Honor World Champion Chris Jericho with Jake Hager about Sammy Guevara's actions in their match. Jericho says he respects Guevara for fighting hard, and he says he'll be a future world champion, but not tonight. The Ocho continues. Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen interrupt, and they said they have a former Ring of Honor television champion who has earned a shot, and it will be Tomoro Ishii versus Chris Jericho for the Ring of Honor World Championship this Wednesday on Dynamite. Jericho said Ishii used to carry his bag and shine his shoes in Japan, and he grants Ishii's request because he'll make him his, his bag carrier once again. Uh, Cassidy uh, then has a confrontation with Jake Hager, where he, Cassidy says uh, it, it looks like Hager you know, likes his championship after Hager asks what's in the bag, and he shows him the All-Atlantic title. He's like, he he. I hope you like this championship as much as your hat. Your hat is cool. And he says you could come for the All-Atlantic Championship next week and try to take it. And Hager says, yeah, my hat is cool. I like this hat. Jake Hager and Orange Cassidy having a combo was one of my highlights of the night. Any comments? I mean, it was funny. That's what it, that's what it just did for me. Uh, I don't know. Jake, that, that, that hat is so stupid. It annoys me. I love it because I know it's gonna annoy some people. It was great. Yeah, that, that, that's um, why it's good. That's why it's like it's a, and it's just funny when they take it away. They, when, that time when they took it off, they, when they took it off of him, how yeah. he reacted. I think that's what I think he should do that more. Like the reaction of somebody taking his hat, like how he flips off on it. I think he should. I think he should do something with that. I think that'll be a good thing for him. Hat Hager. That, that's the <laughs> name. Put it on a T-shirt. Hat Hager. Uh, <laughs> Tony Schiavone joined commentary for our next match. So you knew it was time for Sting! Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett versus Sting and Darby Allin in a match that I had no idea was no disqualification and no countout, Josh, before the bell ring. I had no idea. Uh, but Jarrett comes out with a with a army of stings. Uh, we see a body bag on the end on the uh, ramp. Jay Lethal goes to see what it's about with the army of stings, and Darby Allen comes out with the skateboard and attacks them all. Back in the ring, we see Jeff Jarrett, and behind him is none other than. Sting! It's the real Sting! As the bell sounds, and Jerry got his ass kicked like it was TNA, as the fans chanted TNA, which was great. Uh, we get brawling all over as uh, Darby Allen is fighting with Jeff Jarrett, Sting fighting with Jay Lethal through the crowd. And can I just say, Josh, I didn't think I would ever say this, but one of the MVPs of this fucking match was Satam Singh. I, was, uh, I, 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 I knew he was going to say that. Yo, Sato Singh catching Darby Allen was one of my favorite spots of the night. He caught him coming off the, the top of a ladder with the coffin drop, catches him, carries him up the ramp in a, a razor's edge type of position, and then launches him up the, the ramp. That was a great spot. He then gets into the, 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 the crowd and chases after Lethal and Sting, where 62-year-old Sting does another fucking dive off the balcony. I love it every single time. I can't deny it. Uh, Santam Singh later on gets involved with a choke slam, dangerous choke slam. I was like, this man not protecting Singh. Like, this man is 63 years old. Like, 
just choke slam Sting viciously. He gets laid out later in the match when Sting and Darby Allen do a a double team Scorpion Death coffin drop on Santam Singh and the end of the match sees Jay Lethal he goes for the lethal injection but Sting reverses into a scorpion death drop in midair and Darby Allen follows up with the coffin drop to give Sting and Darby Allen a win I said it on the preview Josh I said it on True Hill Heat I saw the comments in the live chat here I saw the, the comments in the live chat for a lot of the stuff I do People saying it's a bathroom match. People say the match I'm least interested in. Why is Jeff Jarrett here? Why is Jeff Jarrett in a match? And I said to them all, and I got proven right again, Sting delivers on pay-per-view. This man gives us the most unique matches on these AEW cards that are really about, you know, top-notch in-ring work and storytelling in the ring. And then he just comes in and gives us these sports entertainment matches that always stand out always delivered i love this one gave this one three and a half stars what did you think josh but also when it comes to sting uh the match itself i thought it was entertaining uh but when it comes to sting as well i think these kind of matches benefit him but that's what people got to realize too because you're not going to get a wrestling clinic from from sting at this point of his career this is why he's been doing tag team matches um but overall besides that i thought the match was entertaining uh, Sting, his gear was pretty weird to me. He kind of like that episode and that 70s show when, when they broke into the police academy and Eric was like, how can you see me? I am wearing all black. That's what he freaking looked like. And um, like you said, South to Sink, I was, I was surprised. He did his thing. Like, you know, I thought what they did well with him that it was like they kind of solidified himself as like, alright, this is kind of what you need to do as a big man. So, you know, he was in those main spots of, you know, like we said, he killed, he caught Darby. Um, but then also some of his moves look now, they look more impactful. So I think they've been doing that w with him as well. Like they're doing that well late, as of late with him. Like, you know, these moves for a big man, choke slam, you know, moves that look impactful. That's what you kind of need from somebody who's, you know, very, not only big, but he's very limited on um, yeah. moving mobility. So you need to do, you need to have those kind of stuff where it looks believable and he's starting to look believable on his role where he's what he's doing and then also the way they took him out was great too that double team move that was pretty great so yeah the fact they never <laughs> done that they've been teaming now for what three two years and they never done that before scorpion death drop into the coffin drop that was great that was great stuff this is this was just fun like if you if you if you keep if you keep saying these sting tag team matches are bathroom break matches, then you're not watching the match because you're gonna miss something if you do take your bathroom break during this match. You need to do your bathroom break strategically during the video packages. That's the best time to use the bathroom during the AEW event. Uh, we also got Frantic Rose who says some people was mad when TK said this was his dream match. It was a really good. Uh, we also got Ashwin Ash who says this should have been a six-man tag match. Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, and Santam Singh versus Sting, Darby, and Tall Paul. Give me winter is coming. I'll be down for that. I mean, maybe it should have been, but I'm like, I I'll leave it on the side for now. I, I don't think it was needed because Big Show, he has no, um, there's, there's nothing there with him. The sure. last time you see Big Show was he was Captain Insano. For the acclaim, so it kind of wouldn't have made any sense. You gotta, you gotta find a way to, you know, lure him into the picture for that, 
for that to have made sense. Um, but I mean, like I said, uh, it was a good match. Um, the thing with Jeff Jarrett, you know, I've never been a big fan of Jeff Jarrett, and that, that's more so of like uh, his business aspects. Like, I never. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I didn't agree with. There's stuff that I agree with. I like the fact that he's for pushing younger talent when the old talent are getting up there in age. Um, you know, I'm for that. It's just some of his business models I never agreed with. And you kind of saw that with TNA, you know, when he ended up selling TNA. You kind of saw that when he went back to Impact, changing the name to Global Force. So those are little things, but that's kind of a different aspect of why I wasn't a fan of Jeff Jarrett. But besides that, I mean, he's been having a good year. I think, you know, you got to give credit when it's due. You, you know, I got to give credit to, to Jeff Jarrett. You know, he's been everywhere. He's been at GCW. He GCW, was at WWE. NWA, SummerSlam, Ric Flair's last <laughs> match. Uh, fuck. He's been triple working. A, triple A, Triple Mania, and now AEW Full Gear. Yeah. And then also, you know, he looks good for his age and the amount of mileage he's put in. He looks like he looks like he doesn't age. So I mean, Dude, I got to give credit what it's due. I got to give credit what it's due. Put 2008, 2009 Jeff Jarrett picture next to last night, and you wouldn't you wouldn't tell the difference. You wouldn't tell the difference at all. Uh, we got our most people watching at this point. Thank you all for joining us. Remember to drop that thumbs up on the video. That always helps out. Helps out that YouTube algorithm. Helps more wrestling fans like yourself see the video. You could do that also by sharing the video and hit the subscribe button if you are new to the True Hill Heat YouTube channel and you're joining us. And as always, you see what Ashford Ash, you see what Nick Jackson, the gang, Dolores, Ace, Frantic World are doing. Sound off in the live chat because we love to interact with you and hear your thoughts on aew full gear 2022 uh we got here in the live chat let's see seaback who says in a perfect world we would have gotten sting darby and muda versus the house of black but oh well i mean they did set that out pretty well at grand slam but i i, I do agree that would have been fun that would have been a lot yeah that would have been fun but i also kind of understand where malachi black was coming from so i think that was a little bit more important than anything i think we kind of sold it right on the wall at that point um even though i'm still gonna bring it up those rumors were bullshit about his uh oh he wants out of AEW. i'm still I gonna mean, bring it I up mean, from what he said it sounded yeah. like he did think yeah. about it he did talk yeah. to Tony about it, and Tony yeah. talked him out. It was of cryptic, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not only that, but it was like very cryptic of what yeah. he was saying. So sometimes you can't really put into you know conclusions, and I think that was kind of unfair for Black because he got a lot of he did get heat for it because people are like, oh, why would you want to go back to the company that treated you like shit and you want to jump ship? Even though I mean he has a wife over there, so you kind of understand why. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, he, you know, Black stuck to his guns too. You know, he did that video where he debunked all the rumors and the repackaging. I'm actually for it. You know, I actually like the, the videos they've been doing. I thought the last video that they did was pretty incredible. It was like, yeah. yo, <laughs> the way they're talking about the it. The one on this week's rampage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty incredible. And I think, like, you know, that's what they want to do. You know, that's what, how they want to, like, you know, I want to say repackage is not really a repackage, but uh, reestablish themselves while this whole trios thing is going on. I'm all for it because, you know, this is going to, you know, it's going to give them credibility again. 
Yeah, and are you surprised that we didn't get them? I know that uh, Fightful did report that they were in town in Newark at Full Gear. Were you surprised that we didn't get them at the end of the trios matchup? And how do you think that we're going to get them their return? Um, I wasn't really surprised, to be honest with you, just because of, like I said, because of the video. The video was, like, so perfectly done that at that point, you know, if that's what they want to focus on, you know, I'm, you know, I'm all for that. Um, as for them to traveling with them to see, being there, maybe they're doing like, uh, maybe they're doing some like promo video, more promo videos, or maybe they just wanted to be with everybody. They wanted to see, they haven't been there for a while. So, you know, it's, it's a number of things, but as in how they get reintroduced, I have no idea. That's going to be interesting to see how that comes about because I really don't, I mean, at the same, I really don't want to see them feuding with Darby and Sting again because I mean, yeah. It's already established that they won the feud. Sting and Darby won the feud. So I, mean, I kind of don't want to go back to that, especially in a situation where they lost and they got away from it. So why would you go back to it while being gone for this long? So I'll be okay if they stay away from that. House of Black just needs to win some gold, honestly. Yeah. That's how I feel about them, whether it's them being in the trios division, which I'm all for, especially if they, if you want to hold them off a little bit longer and have them, you know, finally make their return in January at the end of the best of seven, and then that transition into either Elite versus House of Black or a three-way feud, and we get a ladder match. Imagine those nine guys in a ladder match for the trios titles at Revolution. Oh, man, that yeah. would be bananas like either or I'll, I'll be i'll be there for for those right there good shout there by dolores who says sign up for patreon best money you will spend they have great content you could sign up right now patreon.com forward slash true hill heat and you could check out the true hill heat 201 post show um i'm gonna be doing the post show live after the flagship podcast on saturdays now so for our patreon backers just jump over on patreon after we're done with the flagship and join me because i want to interact with all of you but the first edition first live edition of the post show is up right now on patreon as we continue with aew full gear and we got to talk about the aew interim women's world championship matchup as tony storm defended josh against jamie hater and jamie hater had the crowd firmly in her corner from the very start of this matchup we got an opening graveling exchange that uh storm got booze whenever she was in control both ladies tried for their finishers very early on but the other had had it countered into a face-off we get shotgun drop kick that sent hater to the apron and then storm hit sweet chicks music to the floor to hater hater uh gained the advantage and launched storm into the guardrail but storm posted hater multiple times to answer storm hit two chops against the post but she missed the third chop to the steel hater controlled the action inside and used a nonchalant cover to get into the mind of the champion uh we get a forearm exchange between the the two women uh storm early on hits sweet chicks music in the corner and then she hits a top rope uh cross body for a two they trade counters and then more forearms storm hits a Big O headbutt uh, and lays on top of Hater for a, for a near fall here. At this point, we see that Tony has been busted open from the nose, and the physicality only got bigger as the match went on. Uh, Rebel then came out at this point. She smacked Storm with the title belt, 
and then Hater hit a sliding lariat for a close two fall. He, uh, Rebel is then thrown out by referee Paul Turner. Uh, Storm levels Hater with a her own version of the Hater raid, the ripcord lariat for a two count. Storm tried the hip attack uh, for a third time, but was sent outside. Storm fell down by the title belt that uh, Rebel used, and then Britt Baker came out of nowhere, hit a curb stomp, and put uh, Storm back into the ring where Hater hit the Storm Zero for another near fall. She misses the Hater Ray, and then Storm hits the Storm Zero of her own for a great near fall. But then Hater, uh, Britt Baker tries to expose the turnbuckle. Storm uh, Baker get uh, crashes into Hater, who's thrown into the corner by Storm. But the turnbuckle pad is removed, and Hater smashes Storm into it. His Hater Raid. For the win to become the AEW Interim Women's World Champion. I love this move. This was a great move of reading the room. She has gotten an organic rise in popularity, Jamie Hayter. She feels like the hottest act in the women's division. And for once, the AEW didn't do their long-term booking or delay the inevitable. They read the room. They put it on the hottest woman in the room. And Jamie Hayter is your new interim women's world champion. I thought these two women were having a solid to good bout in like the first 10 minutes. And then when they picked up the physicality, started uh, yeah. trading trading forearms and headbutts and then Storm's bloody nose. I thought the interference was a little bit much and held this back from being even yeah. better than it could have, but I yeah. still give it four stars. I felt like this was one of the best women's matches on an AEW pay-per-view ever. Josh, what did you think? Uh, I gave it three and three quarters. I was going to give it lower because the fucking overbooked interference bullshit kind of like irritated me uh not not the fact that storm lost um i was so surprised with that i thought storm was gonna retain um her uh hater winning i'm not too mad about um i know romeo is like he's on that boat he's on that ship of i don't see the big deal of, of jamie hater you know like what is she what has she done she's not she's not interesting right um you know but of course, when it came Scarlet to all player out, player fan, which yeah. say something stupid well, like that. Yeah. But when it came to all out, I remember when we were doing when we were talking about it. I was talking about it with Stacking on one of the rampages when I said that that match was gonna either make her the forty fatal four way. It was either gonna make her or it was probably gonna solidify. Like, all right, she's probably not that important right now. Um, and that match kind of proved. That she could be important. And that's why the crowd got behind her. It was kind of, I don't want to say it was similar to like the acclaim because that was a crazy night. But it, it was, it's pretty, it's pretty similar because that's how the crowd, that same night, the crowd got behind her. And that's how she grew this momentum going in last night. So, um, her one thing I'm not too mad about, it was just the overbooked shit. It was like, once once Britt did the curve stop on the belt, I thought that that's where the match should have ended. I thought she would have thrown him in. You know, that's where you're going with because of the heel aspect. But then, you know, she kicks out. Then Britt does something else. Then the turnbuckle came up, came 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 to play. But not only that, but then like Britt gets hit gets hit off the fucking turnbuckle, and then Storm still hits a turnbuckle. I'm like, oh god, what was the point of all that? It's just like overbooked shit that is like. 
it's super unnecessary. Um, like I said, I'm okay with the finish. It was just a little, little too overbooked when it came to the interference shit. I, I understand you want to make Storm look strong, but even with the curve stomp and then her losing the title, it still would have made it look good. You know what I mean? Like it was just too much, a little too much for me. I agree. Yeah, the curb stomp, the curb stomp onto the title belt, and then start her hitting Storm Zero for that near fall. I I would say in a way I do understand because it did help put over Tony Storm. Tony Storm felt like female John Cena when she kicked out yeah. of that. I was like, I was like, holy shit, she kicked out of that, and then she's probably gonna eventually win because I that I thought the only reason Britt's out here is she's gonna cost mm-hmm. Jamie again. She doesn't mean to, but she cost Jamie at all out. I think she's going to cost her again here. But instead, this was another time where I got the finish completely wrong, but I was totally fine with it, with how they executed it. And these two women went out there and worked really hard. They were physically intense throughout it. It was so hard hitting that, yeah, I, I just loved the match, and that's why I boosted it. I was thinking, like, going before I went to sleep last night, I was like, that's four and three quarters. I mean, three and three quarters, but after sleeping on it i was like nah it's a five it's a four-star match i think they really delivered a, a great match and i think it's mostly four stars because tony khan made the right decision putting the title on jamie yeah i can see that you know the, the match itself was good it's just like little ad like i said like just the overbooked shit that was like man that's not necessary and like i said like my motto less sometimes less is more less is you know what i mean like I think that should that could have been one of those instances, but uh, I mean they went with the hot hand. They went with the hot hand, you know. They went with like you said, they read the room, and you know, you know that they got that champion. So now, hopefully, the fans, you know, they they get behind Hater even more. Hopefully. So, do you believe uh, uh, agree with Jaleel here and think that it's time to just take the belt off of Thunder Rosa and keep it moving and make Jamie Hayter the undisputed champion? No. No. Because the reason why I don't agree with it right now is because we right now we don't know her timetable. So you don't want to take something off of, of that situation and then just make her the champion, you know, especially when you're already establishing this interim title. Um, there, and then also, I mean, you know, Tony Storm was what she was the interim champion for two and a half months, and then you're gonna you're gonna vacate that interim title just to give Hater the real title. That'd be kind of that'd be kind of stupid, in my opinion. Unless if it's like a real significant, if it's a real significant thing that all right, Rosa is out for another six months, then I could then I could be for that. But at the same time, I mean, right 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 now, we don't know the timetable. So I just I wouldn't do that right now until maybe Hater should maybe get some a few defenses under her belt. And once she gets that under her belt, and if Rosa can't come back, then maybe you move on to that. But right now, no, I don't agree with that. Uh, we got Will Chisholm who says, what do they do about the Thunder Rosa knowing her and Jamie had problems in the past? I think her and Jamie's problems were only isolated to the broken nose that she received at, uh, you know, Battle of the Belts and more of Jamie. Mayor Jamie and Tony's feelings. I said it on True Hill Heat, Josh, and I'll say it here to you. All of Jamie and Tony's feelings, I feel like just an extension of Britt Baker because we know Tony and Jamie are friends in real life. We know Jamie and Britt are friends in real life, and it just feels like they chose the side of Team Baker over Team Rosa with all the comments they have made. 
Yeah, and to me, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I know people are trying to put so much emphasis on that. They're trying to, like, push it, push it, push it. To me, I don't think it's that big of a deal, um, you know, th- th- and that's just more so from knowing how Rosa is. Um, that's just my personal take on that. Um, I don't think it's going to be a big, you know, they're professional. At the end of the day, you got to be professional at your job, no matter if you don't like the person or not. And if you can't work with the individual, then you should leave. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. But then also when Hater broke her nose, she broke her nose on her own move. So I mean, exactly like, like that. That was you can't be mad about. Thing. When what, what's it? What's there to be mad about? Like when, she didn't. Rosa didn't do nothing wrong. When everybody was saying <laughs> Jamie was so upset, I was like, she should be upset with herself. The fuck? <laughs> what are you mad at me for? Yeah, but then also that's not, that's not even like really confirmed either. You know what I mean? They're saying that she's upset, but but that's when we got that bullshit story. Oh, Rosa was hiding in the bathroom, right. which I I don't buy that just because I mean. Like, 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 you really think uh, um, uh, somebody who has an MMA background is gonna hide from somebody like that? You know what I mean? So that's that was uh, that was where that whole aspect came from. And again, it's just at this point, it's a lot of fucking smoking mirrors. We really don't know what's real, what's not real. So um, even if it comes to that, I mean, like I said, they're professional. They're gonna have to work together no matter what. It's true. Uh, we got the next up, the AEW World Tag Team Championships up for grabs as it was swerving our glory versus the champions, the acclaimed caster delivered an excellent extended rap that had Kanye West references, Twitter references, Jay and Silent Bob, Swerve looking like Randall from Monsters, Inc., uh, Keith Lee looking like he was in the blind side. <laughs> this was one of the best Max Caster raps of all time. Oh my god, he went extended bars for it too. It was great. Uh, Excalibur said on commentary that no Billy Gunn tonight since he wants to control his emotions and not possibly cost the acclaim the titles. And he kept to his word until Swerve pulled out uh, some pliers later in the match. Swerve early on was trying to cheat by using a guardrail that eventually came back and haunted Swerve in our glory as Max Caster hit a cross body on Keith Lee and drove him through the guardrail. Uh, Keith, uh, like I said, Swerve tried to use the pliers to break the uh, fingers of Max Caster until Billy Gunn came out and tried to uh, attack Swerve until the referees came down and booted Gunn with the referee for the match also distracted by this Strickland went inside and wanted Lee to use the pliers but Lee threw them away so Strickland slapped Lee across the face Keith then helped Bowens up to his feet and then he left his partner high and dry as Bowens had a schoolboy for two Bowens then reversed the JMLO driver into a blind tag for Caster and then the acclaimed hit the old KRS one the old finisher of the Kings of Wrestling for the win to retain the AEW World Tag Team Championships. I thought this was a rock-solid tag team bout. I like that the the story of the Swerve in Our Glory breaking up, and I like them doing the same, pretty much the same spot that we saw in the trios match, but in a different way with Keith Lee not going to the dark side, turning it down, and walking out on his partner. And I'm looking forward to Swerve versus Keith Lee rivalry but the acclaim was the right win here. I gave it three and a half stars. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, wasn't better than the last two matches. Uh, I think it was better than the delivered. second match. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll take that back. Yeah, I would say it was, it was better than the uh, second match. Uh, not it's gonna top the first match, but uh, yeah, you know, both teams delivered. I do like the aspect of Keith Lee. You know, where same same situation, like similar to Pac and, and Phoenix. This time Lee just wasn't buying into it, but you could tell. But the difference too is that he wasn't really t- he was never tempted to that. Lee was never tempted. He was never on on the side of you know cheating all that stuff because even even in the first match of all out you know Keith Lee tried to get the crowd back on his side unfortunately it just didn't work because you know everybody wanted their claims to win that night but you kind of saw it started from there when Lee was already like in favor of them and then Swerve felt some type of way about it so I thought it was great I thought it was a great and I think um the way that they kind of split off their tag, their their tag team relationship, I thought it was. I thought it was. It, it was. You know, it was. It was rightfully done. I thought Lee needed to be that X factor to like, you know, fuck this, I'm done, and that's what happened. Yeah, I think they they did the did that very well, and I like the fact that they made the story about what the feud was originally about heading into All Out, and that was uh, basically Anthony Bowens being injury prone and letting down uh, Max Caster, and that was kind of their focus from the beginning. Despite Lee and Swerve's uh, differences, they both did focus on that arm of Ma- of uh, Anthony Bowens until the very end, until their differences in the way they get the job done kind of. Uh, led to them breaking apart. So I, I, I really enjoyed the, the tag team match, not as great. And as you know, an all timer as the all out tag bout, but definitely a good addition. And overall, I I've said this on true Hill. He yesterday, I'll say it to you, Josh, this is probably the most overachieving tag team program. AEW has ever done. <laughs> this yo going into all out. This had nothing of a story going on. It didn't. But, they created a story that not only gave them their now their most popular tag team in the acclaim, but a future top heel, in my opinion, in Swerve. Swerve has shown that he just he just his facial expressions just exude a type of sinisterness that no one else, not even MJF, has the type of sinister facial expressions that Swerve has. Yep, and that's why, you know, that's why Swerve was a leader of a certain group that People claim that there's no leaders and you don't even hear about them anymore. So that goes to show you the the star power that Swear brings. Absolutely. Uh, Frantic Girl said, why did Max Caster go after Will at the media scrum? Will asked about the rap. Will Washington, he asked about the rap and Max Caster just made it firmly uh, confirmed. He does not, uh, he does not, uh, you know, deal with the media, the media. <laughs> it was great, great stuff, great, and I loved uh, Anthony Bowens just completely laughing at the question. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it got a little awkward, like after Caster responded, it got like a little awkward. But at the same time, I mean, hey, when you ask those kind of questions, there's guys who are going to respond. There's guys who are not going to respond, and Caster chose to respond. And I thought he was very respectful. I think yeah. you know if he has. You know he has he has a certain view on things, and you know if that's how he feels, that's how he feels. I don't think he was rude about it. I don't think he was disrespectful. You know he was straight to the point. You know, and that's just how he feels. I mean, people could say, hey, he was rude for that, or why did he do that to this person? Hey, 
when you're in the business of when you're asking a question, I mean, hey, ask McCarthy, ask Roman a question, and Roman told him, acknowledge me. So there you go. <laughs> just gotta roll with the roll with the punches. You just gotta roll with the punches. And I think Will did a good job of uh doing that as well. Yeah. And it wasn't with a bad question. That's the thing, too. It wasn't a bad question. It's just, yeah. you know, it's just one of those trippy waters that you might not get it, you might get an answer or not. And this time he just got an answer to it. So it's it is what it is. But finally, Josh, this brings us to the main event. The main event of Full Gear, the AEW World Championship matchup, John Moxley with Lord Steven Regal or William Regal, Stephen William, I'm used to Lord <laughs> Regal, uh, in his corner to defend against MJF. This man, MJF, motorboated a woman in the front row as he made his entrance. That just says it all. Says it all about that man, Max. Uh, An engaged man, by the way. An engaged man. man. Yes, I'm sure Naomi loved that shot of uh, of Max doing that motorboating a fan. Uh, This New York crowd was firmly in the corner of MJF. Early on, uh, Moxley was not taking MJF seriously at all. Uh, he was getting massive amounts of booze and, and hand, hand, hands up and praise to John Moxley. This man just went with the flow and completely became a heel in this matchup. He embraced it. You had MJF kind of fighting from underneath, playing to the crowd constantly. Uh, and you had then Moxley just being the complete heel, even flipping off the fans at one point. Uh, he Moxley did the deal, got a cross uh, Falcon Arrow into a cross arm breaker, but uh, MJF scurried to the rope. The real uh, difference maker in the matchup came when the two men uh, basically Moxley used the ring, the timekeeper's table, set it up by the the ring and they look like both men were trying to jockey for position and do a big move through the table uh mjf first does a tombstone power driver but aggravates his knee which became the focal point for moxley's attack throughout the second half of this matchup moxley really took control with a power driver off the apron through the table at ringside and just completely just started tearing apart the the knee of MJF. He had a big old avalanche paradigm shift for close near fall with uh, MJF getting his fingertips just on the ropes. We get a forearm barrel. Yay, boo. MJF pulls out the dynamite diamond ring out of his trunks and contemplates using it when Lord William Regal makes his way down to the ring and tells him not to use it. MJF flipped off Regal and threw the ring down, but Moxley locks on a rear naked choke. MJF got a near a near fall on a corner kickout, uh, but the first referee gets knocked down, and then the replacement referee, Paul Turner, he gets knocked down as Moxley locks on the bulldog choke. MJF taps out. Uh, referee Bryce Renberg is still coming too. William Regal tells Moxley to revive the referee, and as Moxley is doing that, William Regal tosses MJF a pair of brass knuckles like my man Tony Khan watches AE Ramble because I called this shit. And then MJF puts on the brass knuckles. He nails John Moxley. One, two, three. MJF, your new AEW World Heavyweight Champion. Post match, William Regal on the ramp smirks at MJF 
as MJF gives him a nod. As Shivani says that Warrior and Regal just sold his soul to the devil. MJF becomes the youngest AEW world champion at just 26 years old. The devil is on top. And this was a tremendous main event. Excellent in-ring action. Uh, just brilliant storytelling with Moxley just so flawlessly just transitioning into the heel letting MJF be the baby face until the big finale where I honestly can't even say this is MJF confirming he's in heel because people love him for being the heel. So the baby face move was for him to cheat to win the title. So I can't even say for sure this is a heel confirming move, but I think this was the right move for the finish for Tex Moxley makes things interesting within the Blackpool Combat Club, especially if Moxley is going away for his vacation. Is, are they even the Blackpool Combat Club anymore? Are they just the Combat Club? Is this over for it completely after Danielson and Claudio went on it? Danielson and Yuta have their differences, and now William Regal's gone. You got MJF on top as maybe as kind of this tweener champion who's part babyface because the fans cheer him, but he's really a heel with all of his actions. So he could face guys like Ricky Starks. He could get, face guys like Ethan Page, your Kenny Omegas, your Brian Danielsons. AEW feels refreshed and revived again coming out of this show and coming out of this main event. I think they delivered a great main event title match. I gave it four and a half stars. Josh, what did you think? You're muted, Josh. Oh, my bad. Uh, <laughs> It was really, it was a really good match. Uh, I gave it four and a half. Um, I, obviously, the right guy won. Um, it was just one of those things I just had to get used to. It was a little weird seeing the crowd full. I mean, I kind of expected it just because it's Jersey. He's not far from where he lives at. Uh, but then the whole aspect of Mox, everyone's booing him, but so he started going along with it. It was kind of like, where is this cover from? That be that's just how I felt personally. But then um, the whole thing with William Regal, I thought that was great. I thought that was a great swerve. Um, but then the reason why, when I said the beginning, when you said like describe the show, and I said questionable, the reason why I said questionable is because it kind of leaves you more questions than answers. It's just kind of one of those situations because it's like, where does it go from here? Like what happens with the back? Like you said, like with the Blackpool Combat Club, what it, what, what everything goes from here. Uh, but then also the firm. Remember, there was this whole the whole aspect of the firm, right? They were heavily involved, and then they played no parts of it last night. So that's why I was kind of like a little like, what just happened? Even though I do like the William Regal aspect, I do like that. I do like the fact that he like he said, and it's too because I told everybody I was like, remember, hear what he was saying, hear what MJF was saying. He said he was not going to use the ring. It doesn't mean he wasn't going to cheat. Exactly. He was not gonna do this. And he was not gonna the, do that. The key, he was not the key use for the me, <laughs> the key for me was on dynamite this week. If you remember, he says, and I quote, "I'm gonna knock you out, John. No dynamite uh, ring necessary. Ain't that right, Will? Like William Regal knew already on Wednesday, and MJF knew what he was gonna do on Wednesday at Full Gear. You see, I didn't, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. So that's a good one." Now, like seeing that, that's a foreshadow. Like, oh shit! So he pretty much called it. That's great. 
And now that and now, Josh, that's two years in a row. MJF told us what was going to happen and delivered because last year at Full Gear, he told Darby Allen, "I will beat you with a headlock takeover." He did, he for, he didn't mention the part where he knocks him out with the dynamite diamond ring, but he did beat him with the headlock takeover. And just like just like last night, he said, "I will knock you out. No dynamite diamond ring necessary." He didn't mention the breast, the breast knuckles necessary, but he did come through on his promise. Yeah, he did. So, there I got one. But then also, this is a good thing for AEWs because uh, you know their world champion is the first established AEW talent that's the world champion, and he's first of the four pillars that they talk about. Who's a world champion? So, here you go. Yeah, and I, I would say second kind of homegrown star that they make. I would say Hangman Page uh, would definitely count there as well. But Full Gear has become the the place for not only you know the big homegrown stars being crowned, but it's also become a show for MJF. Look at the history of MJF at Full Gear. Turn on Cody. 2019, he turns on Cody, becomes the top heel in the company, basically. 2020, 20, uh, 2020, he beats Chris Jericho for the first time and gets entered into the inner circle where he learned how to make his own stable, the pinnacle, and now he also helped his best friend make a stable in the firm. Then 2021, the Darby Allen matchup, one of the best pay-per-view openers in AEW history, and now here in the main event, defeating John Moxley, and finally becoming the AEW world champion. And yes, I, uh, Dolores mentioning MJF, per, media scrum, perfect. Anybody got any questions? Just kidding. Thank you. Fuck you. Goodbye. That was great. It was great. That was great. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Chris asking, will MJF turn babyface or stay heel? What do you think is the right move? Should he stay heel or should he turn babyface? I think for now, I think keep him as, uh, I think keep him as heel. I do. I think they have way too many options as baby faces, whether it's John Moxley after a vacation, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page. Like they got a lot of options for top baby faces. They don't. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then also he has too many antics that are like too heelish. So I, I can't say it yet. I can't say make him a face yet. He has to get over that hump where he's not, you know, he's not, you know, cheating his matches or dirty finishes, whatever that aspect is. So he has to get over that first before, because I know he, he's been in this limbo where he acts like he's behind the crowd, but then he's against it. Like the same night, the same night he came back, he cut that promo on Buffalo, you know, talking about, you know, he was going for the fans and, when Mox called him out on his bullshit, you know, that's when he kind of, like, exposed himself saying, Josh Allen sucks through the jersey. So, I mean, they had to f uh, find a way to, like, if you're going to make him a baby face, which I'm not saying make a clean cut, he could still be, like, what he is, still be baby face. There's just those little aspects of heel tactics that he probably has to stop doing before you can make that move, you know, make that commitment moving yeah. forward make the, the the solidifying where he is uh right annika saying i don't want the bcc to break up let alone regal leaving he can't ever come back to the bcc ever <laughs> she's like nope no no you can't can't go back can't go back on what you did you fucked up bg 
Uh, Delores says, I wish they would have shown the after when BCC was in the ring with Mox. I hope they release it on YouTube. They tend to do that, Delores, a lot of times where they, they have something good that they did after the cameras go off air. They usually show it on their YouTube channel. So I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, uh, supposedly I heard a little bit about it, so I don't know. Yeah. I, it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't sound like Regal is moving past, past them. That's just, to me, from what I heard from like what happened after the camera stopped rolling. So who knows? Yeah. Ashford Nash with a good point too. Of the four pillars, he's the last person who won a title, but he's the first to win the world championship in MJF. Because yeah. Darby, former TNT champion, Sammy, three-time TNT champion, Jungle Boy tag team champion, and now MJF, the world champion. And Chris says MJF, uh, AEW should give MJF the Roman Reigns treatment, make him unbeatable throughout 2022, 2023. No. I mean, I think think he should be world champion for a while, though. He should be champion for a while. The problem with that is that if you want to make a run like that, we're talking about like a Roman Reigns beating everybody two-year kind of run. You have to make sure that he's with the company. Remember, he's a free agent. Twenty twenty four. We don't know. I mean, granted, we don't know if he ever signed an extension or not. We know that he did get a significant money bump, which that can either mean a raise or that could even mean an extension. We don't know, but right now, as we know it, he's supposed to be a free agent January twenty twenty four. So to put all those eggs in that basket for him to have this run. You kind of don't want to commit to that yet because you don't even know if he's staying. So I I would kind of hold off on that, but I do agree that he should have a he should have a lengthy title reign, which I think he's going to have. And Dolores with a great a great uh, point as well. MJF been telling him about uh, Regal the whole time. The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he did not exist. It wasn't about MJF. It was about Regal. That's a great point. Because people thought people thought Regal was always talking about his past, but he's talking about being the villain and all this other stuff. But he was actually the devil the whole time. Could be. I like it. I like it. And I like what MJF said. You got to watch Dynamite to see what happens next. And this week's Dynamite becomes one of the most must-see of the year. But we have finished covering the entire show. So it's about that time, everyone. Let us know in the live chat. Last call for Super Chat donations, guys. We always appreciate that. Helps the channel grow. Helps us to make more streams like this. So last call for that. But I want you to sound off in the live chat. Give us what your rating out of 10 was for the show. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Match of the night, MVP, LVP. First up for us, thumbs in the middle, Josh. For AEW Full Gear 2022 in 3, 2, 1. Thumbs up across the board. Out of 10, what did you give the show, Josh? Uh, I know last night I gave it an 8. And I think that was because I was in the motions of everything. But sleeping on it, I'll say about eight and a half. I think it was a good overall show. It's just those little things, like I said, like some of those finishes were a little, you know, it's a little weird for me. Um, the main event was great. Uh, the the trios match was great. That's best match of the night. If we're gonna go match of the night, that was my match of the night. Um, the the women's you know title match, the right person won. But it was a little too overbooked for me. 
um, the title change with Joe. I'm not 100% against it, but it was just the way they did it. It was a little weird for me. But overall, I thought it was a great show. It was a, it was, it was like another great pay-per-view. Um, you know, I ain't mad at it. You know, they delivered last night. So, so I think it was, uh, I don't know. I, I, I got to go back and watch the Revolution. I think Revolution, I gave eight and a half. I think for Forbidden Door, I even gave a nine. A nine or but, so. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah. And I for, I would no. go full gear. I'm gonna go nine out of ten. I'm gonna go no. I'm you know what? I love that trios match so much. I'm going nine oh, and a bro. half out of oh, ten. Nine I and gonna half. I'm not gonna go to full boat. I'm not gonna go to full boat. But nine and a half out of ten. This might have been my favorite show of the year. I can see that. I can see that. Why? We got Chris. You going full boat? 10 out of 10 and 12 stars. Sheesh. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's a little bit much. How you can, uh, probably joking, but it definitely wasn't 10 show. And you know, I love AEW. Definitely wasn't a 10. Definitely was not a 10. Well, I go nine <laughs> though. It's near, near perfect show for me. There wasn't anything really on this show that I would have took. I was like bad. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, or said that it was bad. Yeah. Like at all. Uh, Josh, match of the night. You said the trios tag. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that as well. One of the the best AEW match of the year, one of the greatest trios match I've ever seen, and one of the best matches of the year. This was a bona fide match of the year candidate. The Elite versus Dev Triangle was my match of the night as well. MVP, Josh. MVP. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, MJF. I mean, that's probably the easiest choice. You know, he finally got the. The big gold that he he's been wanting, and he was great in that press conference. So I'll give I'll give it to MJF. I'm gonna go co MVPs of MJF and Jamie Hader, our new AEW interim women's world champion and new AEW world champion. I think they are well deserving of the MVP of this show. LVP Josh. Uh, LVP who? Uh. Damn, who could be a good LVP for this? For 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 this, uh, I'm going with Mox. I gotta go with Mox. Sorry, I gotta go with Mox. <laughs> That's messed up, man. He's not LVP. He he wanted to lose. He want to go on vacation. Um, <laughs> LV LVP for me. Hmm. This is this is tough. This is tough because so much on this show is good. But I'll go with uh, LVP, the factory. <laughs> I forgot about them. The factory, the entire factory, and and Warlow. Yeah, I gotta agree with you, my boy Blue. Uh, Warlow. I felt like out of all the I champions thought, who lost yeah. their title, it felt like Warlow lost a little bit. Like I felt like they kept Tony Storm way stronger, le- losing her title than they did Warlow. Yeah, that's true, but I guess because that match, I was like, I didn't care about the about that match that much. I was like, uh, I don't know. We got you, my boy Blue, who says MVP mocks for finally getting to go on his damn vacation. So, all different strokes for different folks, ladies and gentlemen. There you go, right there. But that I mean, he is- could have gone on his vacation regardless. I'm not buying that crap. He could have gone on vacation before that. I don't give a shit. Fuck that. He got an LVP. He lost. He lost. Not not only he turned against the crowd, but that he lost. He lost. 
<laughs> the crowd turned against him. Don't give me that. Don't say the crowd. He turned against the crowd. The crowd turned against him. Well, I mean, that's how that's that's how uh, apparently that's how uh, back to Blackpool seeing it. So I would go with that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so my final question for you, Josh, before we wrap things up. Where does AEW Full Gear rank out of the AEW shows this year? Uh, definitely up there. I think it's probably. I'm trying to remember what happened in Revolution. That's the thing. I'm trying to remember what what was the mat what was the matches on Revolution? Like what was the main event? Uh, Revolution had Kingston, Jericho, Hangman, Cole. The first time they had oh, yeah. uh, Punk right. and Bayf, Dog Collar, Brian Danielson, John Moxley. Uh, Jung, uh, Jurassic Express, Young Bucks, Red Dragon had the All Revolution right. ladder match. So I would say maybe I wouldn't even go past it. Maybe that's probably the second best show, Full Gear of the year. I still think I still hold Forbidden Door up there. I still hold it. I still think it was the top. It, it was their their top um, pay per view of the year. Um, you know, you could either go between that or. What all out? Because I don't think Double or Nothing was. I don't. I uh, didn't. I thought Double or Nothing was firmly the worst. I was. Yeah, that's saying. what I'm saying. No, no, no. That's what I was to say. I was like, I was like, I don't think Double or Nothing. Yeah, was yeah, that yeah. Great this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, think, I think that was the that that was too long. That was the worst. It was too so yeah. It was too all, long for me. Um, all out wasn't good enough to make people forget what happened afterwards. So I yeah, think that's that about always it. has like a black cloud around it. So I would say anyone who says revolution, full gear, forbidden door, I'd say there's a there's an argument for all of them. But I would go out if I had to rank those three shows. Like maybe I'm a recency bias, be damned. But I would say full gear. Then Forbidden Door, then Revolution. I feel like Full Gear was the best show because they needed a great show to make everybody feel yeah, true. positive about this company again. And yeah, I can see that. Party. I yeah, I can see that. It's just I I don't know. I I just see it differently just because like I see it like as an overall aspect of like the actual structure of what the shows went. And then he says, "Wow, Jim, Cor you you didn't even spell his name right." First of all. You didn't even you didn't even spell his name right. First of all, I mean I don't give a shit about Jim Cornette, but I mean I ain't lying. He could have gone on vacation. They don't need him every week. They don't even every week on on Dynamite. He could have gone on vacation. There's nothing bad about that. Now I'll be Jim Cornette if I hated his matches and I bitched about the Young yeah. Bucks all the time and I bitched about Kenny Omega all the time. Then I'll be Jim Cornette. You know I could go full full Cornette if you want me to. With certain no, people, no. like if you want me to, hey, I'll do it. You know, you want me to bring up Elias again? I'll do it because he's a fucking bum. I'll do it. I I do it for him because he deserves it. He's fucking trash. You don't 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 get Josh started, y'all. Don't get don't get Josh started. Please relax, relax. <laughs> <laughs> don't get Josh started, y'all. Uh, <laughs> and then we got uh, another comment here from Astrodad saying, "Dream match at Forbidden Boy Two: Hook versus Okada, Yamamoto versus and Shibata versus Eddie Kingston." The last one, maybe we'll get. Maybe. Yeah, I'm like, this guy bugging. Like, what? What? <laughs> Yo, he said he's a hook versus. Okay. He's okay. he's had book. He's a hook versus Okada. Give me that! I want to see it. Oh man, that's great. What? What is this? Logan Paul versus Roman Reigns again to shoot the guy to the top? 
pretty much. Uh, Josh, let the people know. I love uh, Dolores. Josh hates that man with his soul. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's just a bum. Believe me, if you would have seen how that year, remember that year where Elias was like, you know, over? Yeah. You should have seen how many fans, right? How many fans were on his were on his meet, right? Every fucking week, right? And yet he was a bum every single week. He barely won his matches. He like like I said, like he I thought I always think he, I always thought he was a bum. I'm just keeping the same energy like I did back then. I always thought he was a bum then. He's still a bum now. Where do you see him at? He hasn't been on Raw for a couple of weeks, right? He came yeah. back as Elias. That's everybody want. And now you don't even see him again. He's a bum. Like, I'll talk about it tomorrow too. Like, there you go. You guys want me to talk about it tomorrow, Raider Raw Superstars? I'll do that. Well, Josh, let the people know where they can follow you on social media and when you'll talk bad about Elias again. <laughs> uh, you can find me at jampunk321, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can mostly find me on Instagram, um, you know, Twitter. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Twitter. Um, Apparently, uh, Donald Trump is back on Twitter now. They reinstated him, so I, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be on there. Probably still gonna be lucky. I'm, I'm just full of shit on that. But uh, mostly lucky. on Instagram, you can find me on Instagram, uh, and then you can find me talking shit more about Elias tomorrow. Raider Raw Superstars, I'll be on tomorrow, and then Wednesday, Elite Heat will watch uh, the Fallout of Full Gear, so you catch me there as well. And you can follow me on the Twitter machine at TrueHillSP3. I'll be back on the YouTubes tomorrow here on the True Hill Heat YouTube channel. We got myself and Jay News reviewing NJPW X Stardom Historic Crossover. We're going to talk about Kenny Omega's challenge for Will Ospreay for Wrestle Kingdom 17. We're going to talk about the new and first ever IWGP Women's Champion. So check it out. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell to stay notified so you always get alerted whenever we go live or have a new video up here on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at True Hill Heat on Twitter for as long as you can. Get us to 2,000 before Twitter shuts down. Get me at True Hill, True Hill SP3 and True Hill Heat to 2,000 followers over there. Patreon.com forward slash True Hill Heat. You got SP3's Raw Report coming up this week. Today, we're dropping a new episode of Dark Power over on Patreon. I'll be reviewing Impact Overdrive on Patreon as well. And we're going to have a review of Hard Times 3 because, yes, I made Stat King. Watch it just for our Patreon backers. See, I love y'all so much. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash True Hill Heat Wrestling. We're going to do some gaming over there next week. And ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash True Heels. I think that is everything. Final call for comments here. Uh, we got in the live chat, Annika here giving us the the, the hand, the slap hand, I guess. Uh, Francis Royal says, good review, guys. See you on the next one. Uh, Asher Nass ready to talk some NJPWX stardom for tomorrow. If you're not busy right now, jump over to the True Hill Heat Sports YouTube channel as the fellows have just gone live for our NFL Sunday football watch along. So you'll be able to watch along with Romeo and the gang over there. So hit the link that's in the live chat right now. Also check out our full gear 2022 watch along from last night, our historic crossover preview. If you haven't watched the show already, get our predictions before you watch the show on NJPW World. Tomorrow morning, NJPW's World Tag League and 
and Super Junior Tag League kickoff. So check out our preview. If you are a Patreon backer, patreon.com forward slash True Hill Heat for just $3 a month. And of course, check out True Hill Heat 201. Our flagship podcast with special guest Cassidy Haynes joining myself and Miss Chrissy Love talking about the weekend wrestling, including Stone Cold Steve Austin coming back for WrestleMania 39, full gear preview, and much, much more. Want to thank Josh. Want to thank you all for joining us live. Thank you all for joining, watching on demand. Let us know in the comments down below if you're watching on demand what you thought about Full Gear 2022 match of the night, MVP, LVP, thumbs up, thumbs down, and out of 10. What did you give the show? Drop a drop a thumbs up on the video. Share it with your friends and subscribe if you are new. For the true jaw, Josh, it is me, it is me, your true hill phenom, SP3. This has been our AEW Full Gear 